<laughs> good morning, good morning. Listen, I want to start today off, which I always like to start off a little bit different. <clears throat> My question to you, before we even get into the message, is what are your expectations when you came here this morning? What were your expectations when you woke up and decided to come to church? I would assume that you would expect that the person speaking would at least had done some research and study, possibly written some things down. Now, Chad knew I was speaking, so he probably totally expected me to just wing it. <laughs> Has happened. But what are your expectations? Because I'll be completely honest. I can stand here, and I'm going to tell you the things that I feel like God has laid on my heart. And I can tell you the things that I've studied and that I've learned and that I've looked at and the things that have impacted me. But if your expectation is that nothing changes here this morning, then my words are just words. We've heard words. I can't tell you a new word. I didn't invent any words for this morning. They're just words. Put in whatever order they come out in. Your expectation when you come here is that God's going to do something. When those words leave my mouth and hit your ear, that the Holy Spirit moves in a way that it changes you. Because I've known myself for a long time. I'm not that special, okay? I'm not the smartest guy in the world, and I'm not going to tell you a million different things that you've never heard before. Because the Bible hasn't changed since I've been alive. So the stories that I tell you out of the Bible haven't changed. Praise God, that word doesn't change. So whatever you have going on, whatever word God has for you this morning, we have to come with the expectation that he's going to work that out. And we have to accept whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is telling us as we're receiving that word. When the Holy Spirit moves and you hear something, you're like, oh, that affects me. Then your responsibility is to accept and move forward in that and to allow it to change you. Y'all thought you were just going to come and just hear a thing and then go on home. <laughs> we haven't even got into anything yet. We're talking about servanthood. How to serve like Jesus. I think we even have a title slide, Serving Like Jesus. Oh, before we get into that, I will let you know that I got a text message from Susan, who's monitoring our live stream and our chat and things like that, and she let me know that my microphone was on during worship. The cool part was I saw that message 24 minutes after she sent it. So anybody in live stream who got to hear me sing and pray, you are welcome. I hope you really enjoyed it. <laughs> so we're going to talk today about serving like Jesus. Now here at the crossing, we have a tendency to use the words Servant and volunteer interchangeably. 
right? We say that a lot. But there really is a difference between how the world views a volunteer and the biblical standard of what a servant is. So if you look at the worldly view of a volunteer and what a volunteer looks like and what a volunteer is, right? And so a volunteer says, hey, I'm willing to give of my time or my resources or whatever it is to help out in this area. However, sometimes when you talk about volunteers and volunteering as far as a worldly perspective is, the understanding is that they have their own set of stipulations with what that looks like. So I'm willing to volunteer, but I can only give you this time because that's the time that I have left over. That's the time that I have set aside. No other time works for me. I have family things here. I have work things here. I have other things here. So this is the only time I'm willing to give. So what do you have for me in this time? When you look at a volunteer, then they can look at it and be like, okay, so I'm willing to volunteer, and this is the time that I have, but this is what I want to do. I don't want to do anything that makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to do anything that I don't know anything about. I don't want to be a part of things that can be difficult. I don't want to have hard conversations. So like, if you just tell me like the feel-good thing that I can do right here during this amount of time, that's what I would love to do. Yeah, me too. Okay. Can I volunteer to you know, eat cake pops and candy canes? Worldly view of a volunteer. Biblical view of a servant says, what do you need? Not, can you fit me in? Is this, this is the time that I have. What do you need? Where do you need me? What is the need right now? Oh, this is what you need? I'll be there. You need me to clean up the bathrooms? I'll be there. Some kid threw up in the back? Here, you need me to clean it up? I'll clean it up. What do you need? Because it flips it from the stipulations and the things to, you know what? I'm a servant fulfilling the need, whatever it is. And I promise you, if you come out to any church and say, hey, I'm here to serve, what do you need? We will put you to work because <laughs> there are needs. There's always needs. And it's not just here. It's not just here where people need. It's funny that we're talking about servitude. You know, it probably just so happens to coincide with the month that we were talking about doing service weekend and service month and helping people, right? We don't do things by accident. So we look at what does it mean to be a servant. So we're going to talk about some attributes of servanthood. Say some things about a servant. So a servant, I have notes today. If you've ever heard me speak before, you will be very excited and shocked that I have notes. And I struggle sometimes, but I'm adapting. Yeah, please take note. Um, a servant is a follower and a leader. Now, look, when you tell somebody, not everybody desires to be a leader. Okay, they're like, hey, I, 
I don't, I don't want to lead anybody. That's, that's not in my DNA. I don't feel comfortable. I, I, just, I don't want to do that. I'm not a leader. People don't look to me for anything. Hey, look, if you've got a family, you're a leader. If you live in a community and you go to work, you're a leader. If you're a brother or a sister, you're a leader. Mother, father, you're a leader. Right, just because you don't like it don't mean it ain't real. The question is not whether you are or not a leader. The question is how and where are you leading? John 12, 26 says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. In order to know how to lead, you got to be a follower of Jesus. See, a follower and a leader. Because if you aren't following Jesus, then you don't know biblically how you're supposed to lead. Hey, listen, we can all go out there and just try to figure it out. I've tried to figure it out for years. Unfortunately for my kids, when they were babies, I was trying to figure it out. (laughs) For my wife, when, when we first got married, I was trying to figure it out. On my own. But when you know that you're a follower of Christ, you only remember the story of David, right? King David, when he started out as a shepherd. Right? And so the man of God came to anoint one of Jesse's sons, right? To be the next king. And he went through all the sons, and he's like, not this guy and not this one. Oh, he looks strong. No, God's like, it's not him. And he got to the end of the line, and there was nobody. And he's like, man, you got any more sons? He's like, well, I got one with the, with the sheep. We'll bring him in. And in comes David, and God's like, he's the one. He's the one that has the heart that's after my heart. He's the one. He's the one that's going to lead my people. Because his heart was the heart after God's heart. That means that the decisions that he made came from the relationship that he had with God. So when you're a follower of Christ and you choose to follow him, then the choices that you make come out of that relationship that you have with Jesus. It's no longer you're just trying to figure it out. It's out of relationship. With the Father. That's how you lead. I'm going to give this is just for the fathers. Y'all are going to like this. So I saw a statistic that says, I do children's ministry and I love children's ministry and I think children's ministry is fantastic and I absolutely 1,000% believe that it can change the world. 100%. But the statistic is staggering. That when the children become the ones that are saved first in the family, and they're the ones that push 
belief in God in their home that 3% of the family will become saved. 3% of the time, the family gets saved and follows God. When it's the mother, I think it's between 30 and 40% of the time, the family gets saved and follows God. When it's the father that leads through Jesus, 97%. We have a tremendous responsibility to realize who we are in Christ and to follow and lead as servants. All right, so the next one, a servant is humble. I struggle with this one sometimes. Says Mark 10, verse 42 through 45. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever you de- and whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Hey, it's not all about you, okay? <laughs> it's not about what you want, it's not about what's gonna make you happy, it's not about what's gonna make you feel good inside, it's not about what's gonna fulfill your emotional needs. <laughs> Those things, our joy, our peace, the things that matter, the value in our life comes from our relationship with God. So everything else is how do we serve other people, right? Because Jesus, listen, I tell my kids every, every year they get three presents for Christmas, right? Or if you didn't know that, I'll just let you know. Every year they get three presents for Christmas, right? Because when Jesus was born, you know what, he, he got three gifts. And I tell my kids, you're not better than Jesus, <laughs> all right? At the first, it was, you're not better than Jesus. After nine kids, it became, you're not better than Jesus, and that's a lot, <laughs> The Savior of the world came to earth to serve. What else are we here to do? What's more important than serving other people? We serve God through our service to God's people. That's the whole point. There's nothing more that I can say to you that's more important than that. We gotta keep moving. 
A servant is a good steward. Listen, I'm going to talk, I'm not going to talk to you about finances, okay? I've said this for, I don't know, however long I've been doing this, 10 years maybe. When everybody talk about finances and they talk about tithing and things like that, we take a pretty good stance that you do it because you're doing it because biblically it's part of what you do and we are expecting and you're expecting that God's going to bless your finances, right? You're being obedient and giving of what God has blessed you with and giving it back and you're trusting that God is going to take care and bless your finances in doing so, okay? God's going to do whatever he's going to do here at the crossing regardless of finances. Amen. God's going to be God. All right. It's arrogant to think that our finances are going to limit what God's going to do. That's ignorant. <laughs> Tithing is for God to bless you. Amen. All right, so I'm not even going to talk about, well, I guess I was talked about a little bit, but I'm not really going to talk about that. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one of you has received a gift, minister it to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Use what you have. Because God's given you everything you need. You have what you need to serve others. Use it. I mean, I, I can't make it any more simplistic than that. The story of Joseph, right? When Joseph got sold into slavery by his brothers, got lied about by the guy he was serving his wife, got thrown into prison, right? And he's sitting there in, in prison, and he's using what he has. He's interpreting dreams for people who are in the cell, and he's telling them, this is what's going on. And becomes the number two guy in all of Egypt. And God uses him to save his entire family through a famine. Because he allowed God to use what he had. Romans 12, 1 through 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You live in a world that is jacked up. And you see it more and more jacked up every day. Turning upside down. People don't know right from left, up from down, no idea what's going on. And you can stay connected with the Father and look different from the world, or you can allow yourself to be transformed by all the junk around you. 
Those are your two choices. But if we're going to be a servant that serves like Jesus, then we have to stay connected with God and protect ourselves against the world. The relationship with him. Move on to the next one. A servant is selfless. Galatians 5.13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You've been called to liberty. You've been called to freedom. Freedom through Jesus Christ. Listen, I can't say the word freedom without thinking about Braveheart, right? Yeah, I want to scream it from the rooftops. I just want to yell freedom. I just think it's the greatest part of any other. It's hilarious. I love it. It's fantastic. But there's a part of that movie, right, where he's talking to these guys, these leaders of the people that he's associated with. And he looks at him and he goes, you think that these people exist to provide you with possessions and status. He goes, and I think that your possessions and status exist to provide them with freedom. And this goes back to being good stewards as well. We have the freedom that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And through that relationship, there should be an abundance of joy and want to share that with other people. So they too can have that freedom. They too can experience that. Not to lord it over them, to get them to blah, blah. No, it's not a matter of convincing. It's just a matter of sharing and loving other people. That's what it's all about. We have to be selfless. So we're going to turn to Luke. We're actually going to get to a story. Luke chapter 5. We're going to start. We're going to look in verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. So there was these men, four men, who saw a man paralyzed on a mat. And said, you know what? We've got to do something. Okay, it doesn't say in the scripture that they were friends. It doesn't say in the scripture that they have a long history and have known each other and this guy's been begging somebody to help him. It says that these four guys 
knew Jesus, Jesus was near, they were going to take him. The story of David and Goliath, you like that? I love that story, great story. You know that David was taking supplies to his brothers, right? And they're sitting there on the battlefield against the Philistines, right? And they're sitting there, and Goliath is sitting there, and he's talking mad spit about Jesus. He's just spitting out all these terrible, he's saying all this stuff, and, and here's David. Who's that talking about my Jesus? Who's that blaspheming the name of my God? Not Jesus, sorry. Who's that blaspheming the name of God? Who is that? Who is that? I'm going to shut his mouth. David didn't go after he heard that what was going on. David went to take supplies to his brother, and he responded when there was a problem. These four guys knew that the healer was near, saw the need of a man laying on a mat, and responded. We don't serve by accident. They didn't all of a sudden trip over their own feet and fall onto the guy's mat and they get hooked onto their belt and they drag him to the house where Jesus was. They made a decision. This man needs to get to the healer. And we're going to take him. It leads me to questions like, who do we serve? When we look around us, who are we serving? If we all sit here in this room and we agree that we are to be servants, right? We're to be like Jesus. Christians literally means followers of Christ. We're to be like Jesus. We're to serve. Who are we serving? Do we serve our community? I hope so. Hopefully we've been doing it all month. Hopefully we don't have to move forward from today and only use one month of the year to serve our neighbors. Are we serving our spouse? Oh my goodness. How many marriages that end in divorce would not end divorce if spouse served each other? How many families would be in such a better place if our spouse just decided to serve each other? If husband and wife woke up one day and be like, hey, what can I do for you? If they had the relationship where they knew that their spouse genuinely cared about how to make their day better. And they served one another. And their kids saw what that looks like. What it looks like to serve each other. And they desired that. And they lived in that. And they wanted that. It's the hardest, like, this probably hit me more than anything because it's so easy for all of it. it would have been so easy for those four guys to just walk by the guy on the mat and just keep on about their day because they're caught up in what they got going on. Oh, man, my boss was really being a jerk at work and get caught up in that. Or, oh, man, look, I, I got to pay these bills. And so I, 
I'm, I'm stressed out about that and just get distracted by a million different things. I wonder how many people liked my, what's the popular social media now? Like Insta, Snapchat, Gram photo, I don't know. Like, I wonder how many people are liking that. I wonder if anybody retweeted my stuff. That's still a thing, right? How many people are sharing my status? How many people like what I had to say? How many people support me? All the while, we're just walking by people who hurt. Walking by people in need. Sitting on our couch or laying in our bed, ignoring our spouse. For what? Now's not the time. Now's not the time to consume yourself with the world. when the person sitting or laying next to you is the person that says they love you, that they committed their life to you, that they trust you, why would we choose to ignore them for stuff on a screen that doesn't matter? Doesn't matter. For our own entertainment? Do I want to tell my wife that, well, I'm so bored with everything you have to say that I don't want to talk to you anymore? That sounds harsh. I don't know what else it tells her. Am I so so disconnected from my kids and what they got going on that I just stare at a screen instead of talking to them? Instead of finding out about them? Instead of talking to them about things that happen here. Look, I can teach your kids some of the greatest messages ever taught in the history of the world. But two hours on Sunday morning isn't going to get them closer to Jesus. It's what you do at home. It's what you do at home. Man, teenagers. I have teenagers, so I feel like I should really say this. Could you imagine what life and relationship with parents would be like if you decided to serve your parents? If you decided to go up to your parents and be like, hey, what can I do to help? What can I do to make this better? Listen, I'm not saying anything that probably hasn't been said before. But I feel like we're in a time where we really need to hear it. There are five words that are of the utmost importance when it comes to being a servant. Just five. How can I help you? I can't make it more simple than that. How can I help you?
these four guys went out of their way to help this man laying on a mat. Because he needed healing. That's funny. It goes on in verse 19. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. So guess what? When we help somebody, it ain't always easy. It ain't always simple. But we serve, but without stipulations, right? We don't serve and then get to a point and be like, well, that's going to be hard. I don't want to do that. Those guys could have picked him up, got to the door, saw that it was hard, saw that it was difficult, saw that it was blocked, and been like, we'll leave him right here. Jesus has got to come out eventually. <laughs> or how about this? I did my part. I did more than what anybody else was doing. I may not have got him where he needed to be, but nobody else did anything, so in comparison, I'm better. I don't know about you, man, but I don't see that in there. I don't see where it says you, Jesus is like, you know what, serve, but only do it as long as it doesn't make it hard on you. Only do it until the point that you're like, ah, that's enough. Things are getting a little difficult. Sorry, but the problems that I'm helping this person with, are, they're just a little bit too much. I don't want them calling me at 2 o'clock in the morning because they're struggling with addiction and they're trying to have a relapse. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to call them whenever they're sitting there and they're battling pornography and they're sitting there and they're like, I need help, man. Help me right now. It's, uh, it's, it's not really convenient for me. It's not a matter of convenience. We don't stop serving because it's hard. Through Jesus, you can do hard things. You can do things that you're like, not on my power. You're right, not on your power. On your power, listen, it's a lot like my power. It's, it's not a lot. I don't know if anybody's told you this or if they haven't told you this. But in the power of Jesus, nothing can defeat you. Those guys came up to that house and they saw the way was blocked. And they knew what the answer was. Get the man before Jesus. Get him before Jesus. Jesus is the healer. Get him before the Lord. So what they do? To the roof. Because there's nobody up there. The obstacle of some tiles, we can get around that. But I know where Jesus is and I know where he needs to be. And so I'm going to get there. 
You are able and called in the face of adversity and obstacles and giants. And you have the authority in the name of Jesus to stand and say, I am called. Get behind me. I am a servant. I will succeed. I will move forward. I will in the name of Jesus. Come on. Somebody say, I will. I will. That was weak. Let me tell you, you hear a story about this, this movie called The Lion King. Have you ever seen The Lion King? Right? You've seen The Lion King? Listen, I saw this story the other day, and I loved it. So there's a story about, and in The Lion King, Simba, who's a baby lion at the time, right? And he's battling with the hyenas. And the hyenas get the bird. What's his name? Yazoo? What's his name, Yazoo? Huh? Zazu? Oh, what do I know? His name, he's got a funny name, okay? And they're fixing to eat this bird over a fire, right? And here comes Simba. And he's like, hey, let my friend go. Why don't you pick on me? And they start laughing. And he lets out this baby lion roar. And they think it's hilarious. And next thing you know, this monstrous, demonstrative, loud, earth-shaking roar comes from behind them. And it's the roar of the Father. And they are afraid. Your perceived limitations are just that. They are your limitations. You can't put limitations on the Father. And that Holy Spirit of the Father that lives inside of you, when your relationship is where it is supposed to be, and you come out and you speak with the Father... And you speak with that authority and that Holy Spirit is moving through you and you stand up in the middle of that adversity, in the middle of that junk, in the middle of that naysaying and that doubt and that question and say, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will, in the name of Jesus, it's no longer I will. It's by his power. That's how things are changed. That's how people serve. That's how we look different than a world around us. Is by the power of Jesus that lives inside of us. So those four guys say, you know what? We got you. We're going to get you before the Father. And they lowered him down. Oh, this is my favorite part. Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. You know what's cool about that? When he saw their faith. Now, what do you think we're serving for? Why do you think we do this? It's not to make us feel better. It's not because we want people to know who we are and what we've done and how great we are. 
is to get the people before Jesus so that they can have that relationship with him, so that they can spend eternity with the Father, so that he can receive the healing that he needed. Jesus saw their faith. That man was healed, walked out of that room to spend eternity with God because of their faith. That's why we do this. That's why we serve. Look, I'm going to tell you, I wish I had some kind of magical program and an easy button that could do this. Right? And give you a three-step plan and you could write them down and your life would never be the same. The answer is not hard. It's not difficult. The answer is Jesus. That's the answer. Listen, I'm gonna I'm fixing to tell you guys something that I honestly have debated whether I was gonna say it from the moment that I wrote it down. Because it sounds harsh. I'll be completely upfront and honest. I read it, I wrote it, I heard it, sounded harsh to me. But also look at the world that we live in. And I look at the way the world is transforming before me. And as harsh as it sounds, I just don't see how I can't say it. So I watched a video one time of these, these, these people from, a, from an underground church in China, right? And the people in this underground church in China, and they were sitting there, and, and you could just see the excitement on their face. And there, there was these boxes. And now the boxes came open. They started handing out Bibles. And these people at this underground church in China were just sobbing tears of joy. Because the word of this Jesus that had completely transformed their life, they now had a copy for themselves, regardless of what it could cost them. Now I'm going to tell you the part that I've been struggling with saying. So there's an old joke that has many different adaptations, right? So one of the adaptations was by Winston Churchill, right? So Winston Churchill, he's in the time, he's in wartime, and he's talking to a soldier. And he's sitting there, and he's talking to the soldier, and he looks at the soldier, and he goes, hey. He goes, I got a question for you. The soldier goes, go ahead. He goes, for a billion dollars, would you betray your country? The soldier stands there and he thinks, he's like, oh, that's a lot of money. Weighing the pros and the cons and the would I, I don't know, could I, maybe. And before he can answer, he goes, how about this? 
He goes, for $5, would you betray your country? The soldier looks at him and goes, no. He said, what kind of a man do you think I am? And Churchill says, well, we've already determined what kind of a man you are. Right now, we're just haggling over price. Like, I don't say this to, to fear or be the guy, but look. We may see in our day or our kids may see in their day where they got to make a decision that could very well cost them their lives whether they choose to follow Jesus or they don't. It could be the difference for whether they're able to feed their family or they're not. I don't say that to make you afraid. I say that to tell you how important the word of God is. I say that to tell you how important our relationship with Jesus is. It's where we don't want to go a day without talking to the Father and spending time learning about him. Look, you want to know how to treat your spouse? It's right here. You want to know how to do business? It's right here. You want to know how to overcome adversity? It's right here. You want to know how to do things that look like Jesus? It's right here. It's here. But as our relationship with this book and the words in this book and the Father God that was anointed when he wrote this book, when he anointed those who put the pen to paper and that Holy Spirit, it, do we, are we in it? Because the only way to know about Jesus and to serve like Jesus and to not look like the world, not conform to the world, is to have that relationship. When the question comes and the hard decisions come and you have to choose to be like Jesus, you go to this. We develop a relationship to we don't want to go a day without this. We don't want to go a day without knowing. We don't want to go a day. When we have a friend that's struggling and we can just say, hey, you know what? The scripture says this. The scripture says this. Not me, under my own knowledge, but the scripture from God, the living, breathing word of God says this. And I love my neighbor and I serve my wife out of an abundance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not out of rules, not out of regulations, not out of fear, but out of the love of Jesus. If you're going to know what that love is, you got to read this. That is so important. Nothing else I say even matters. It's in here. So we're we're gonna we're gonna move into a time and listen. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm not gonna pray and dismiss you. 
purposely ended a little bit early, wrote it a little bit shorter. Because like Matthew 21, 13, and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. A house of prayer. Not a house of good preaching. Not a house of an amazing children's ministry. Not a house of donuts and coffee. Our house, this house, shall be called a house of prayer. And that's what we got to do. That's how we be who God's called us to be. It starts now. It starts with prayer. It starts with us coming before the Father and saying, here I am, God, use me, help me, let me be the man or the woman you've called me to be. Here I am. It's your prayer to him.